I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Only 60% of treatments for rare disorders make it into Canada, and most get approved up to six years later than in the United States and Europe, according to the Canadian Organization for Rare Disorders. In an effort to change the rare disease landscape in Canada, court has released a multi-pronged rare disease strategy for the country. We spoke to Durhain Wang Rieger, President and CEO of the Canadian Organization for Rare Disorders, about the need for a national strategy the effort to pass a regulatory framework for orphan drugs, and what it'll take to make a national strategy a reality. Durhain, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very, very much for the opportunity. We're going to talk about the Canadian Organization for Rare Disorders, CORD's efforts to get a Canadian rare disease strategy, and, and the particular challenges rare disease patients in Canada face First, I thought we could begin with the state of rare diseases in Canada. How broad a population of people are there with rare diseases? How, how are rare diseases approached in Canada? And, and how is access to therapies constrained by what we might not see in, in other developed countries? Certainly, rare diseases in Canada are probably of equivalent prevalence to what they are in certainly the U.S. and other countries. We use a figure about 1 in 12 or 8% of the population, and if we do that, we end up with about 2.8 million Canadians out of about 32 million Canadians. Um, And certainly not all of them are identified, probably similar to many other countries. So 25% of the population may never actually get a diagnosis. Many of them uh, may not even know they have a rare disorder, but oftentimes are just recognizing they've got symptoms or their clinician recognizes they have symptoms that they really can't uh, nail down. I mean, currently in Canada, we are still struggling to get an orphan drug, uh, let's say an orphan drug act or an orphan drug regulatory framework. We have followed, um, and certainly with the U.S., in terms of getting new therapies that are developed there, having them come to Canada. The challenge in not having an actual definition for orphan drugs or a designation for orphan drugs and a definition of rare diseases is that in many cases, companies and researchers may be somewhat more reluctant to come to Canada early on. I mean, to the best of our estimate, we only get about 60% of the drugs that are already identified and approved as orphan drugs in the U.S. or in in Europe. Um, As challenging is the fact that because we don't have a a truly recognized uh, designation and a expedited pathway that has been defined for rare diseases, researchers may not bring their clinical trials to Canada right away. We may get drugs, um, you know, several years later than they do elsewhere because they will get approval in the U.S. and they will get approval in Europe before they come to us. We used to talk about Canada as being sort of the orphan of the orphans in the developed world because we're not U.S., which is very large and is able to really foster and facilitate access to clinical trials and orphan drugs in Europe, which obviously serves a large number of countries collectively. So this has been a bit of a challenge for us. We're kind of hanging on to the coattails of 
of two very large giants, and really it serves us well, but it, as we say, it serves us about 60% well with how we feel about it. Well, court has laid out and uh, called for the adoption of a multi-pronged rare disease strategy for Canada. What's the case to be made for a national strategy for Canada? I think the strategy really follows along two pathways. One is recognizing that strategies for cancer, for cardiovascular disease, for diabetes have done a great deal to actually address these diseases for uh, a large patient population as a public health issue. So it's actually mobilized everything from diagnosis, prevention, good education, clinical practice guidelines, centers of expertise, dedicated research, platforms for access to therapies and care support, and certainly an engagement for the uh, rare diseases patient population. These have contributed, you know, not just Canada, but everywhere to a significant reduction in terms of delayed diagnosis, in terms of inability to access therapies, and certainly have improved significantly not only the care and treatment, but also, um, you know, uh, life expectancy. And we're looking for the same in terms of rare diseases, recognizing that you know, each one of these rare diseases is small. Collectively, a strategy would address many common features, things like genetic testing, things like you know early access to uh, specialists, identification of, uh, of gaps in terms of uh, therapeutic uh, or therapeutics. Well, walk us through the main goals of the strategy and what's the thinking behind them. Sure. The main the strategy is in fact multi pronged, and we've done you know a great deal to engage multiple stakeholders. Uh, a real starting point is actually having national standards for uh, screening and diagnosis, so a national framework for genetic testing, um, a common set of, of uh, newborn screening tests, uh, programs for genomics testing where appropriate and being able to expand what we have is significant expertise in terms of genomic sequencing in a research environment to being able to use those in a diagnostic environment. So screening, testing, early diagnosis, and prevention is hugely important and having national standards on that. Uh, clinical practice guidelines, having defined practice guidelines, either defined in, in Canada or actually adopted, adapted from elsewhere, so that when patients are identified with rare diseases, there are pathways that have been identified, there are specialists that are identified, along with these hopefully would be centers of excellence, centers of expertise that would allow then patients to be referred to the right specialist in a timely fashion. And we did a survey earlier last year and found that um, in many cases it was taking up to seven years for a patient to get diagnosed. Patients were seeing as many as 12 specialists before they got to the right specialist. Many of them, even though they may have gone to a specialist, may not have access to the right care pathways because those have not been codified and not been made explicit. So this would be hugely important. Community support, patient group support, we get very little support for patient groups in Canada, and as you might imagine, because many of these are very small, it's a real stretch for patients to do care and support, do awareness, do um, engagement in terms of research and development, and also try to do fundraising. It's a huge challenge for many of these that are you know, uh, oftentimes family-run and family-begun. We also have, uh, as a fourth pillar, access to the right therapies. And again, even when the drugs do come to Canada, as they are in many other countries, huge barriers in terms of access to the whole population. 
So we've got 13 different jurisdictions in healthcare. We may have 13 different uh, programs for access to drugs for, for rare diseases. And in many cases, because they're individually good quite expensive, we find that patients oftentimes are denied whether they have uh, a good drug plan or not. They may oftentimes still find that the drug plan will not sufficiently cover them. So a lot of work in that area. And finally, making sure that there's good comprehensive research that is dedicated to rare diseases. The U.S. has done an amazing job, you know, originally with the Office for Rare Diseases and NIH in terms of stimulating uh, research on rare diseases, and we've got a long ways to go to have that same kind of recognition and importance of research in rare diseases as an area, um, as opposed to having individual diseases, which may in fact get support because they've got very active patient communities or other clinicians who are able to leverage the area. Well, one of the, the most surprising things I learned reading the materials from CORD, and you mentioned this number uh, a little while ago, but only 60% of treatments for rare disorders make it to Canada, and, and most get approved up to six years later than in the United States or Europe. Why is that? Is that drug makers are just not pursuing this market, or does this reflect uh, regulatory bar barriers in Canada that, that don't exist elsewhere? All of the above. Um, certainly, historically, without an orphan drug act, there has been very little support in terms of research and development. So the drugs don't get, you know, developed here. They even when drugs are discovered here, they actually move to other countries in order to go through the development phase because there are better incentives elsewhere. So this is a challenge. We also have a challenge because we do not have a designation for orphan drugs, which also in Europe and in the U.S give um, extra incentives for companies to develop everything from, you know, good cl support for um, clinical trial design to actually financial incentives. Because those don't exist in Canada, companies don't necessarily set up shop here in Canada. And if they're not here, then they're not necessarily looking at clinical trials here. If they're not looking at clinical trials here, then they're not looking at uh, having the drugs approved here until after they've been approved elsewhere. So, Yes, that is a huge barrier, and we're working very hard. We've got a orphan drug framework that's been uh, developed. It's actually been ready for the last two years. We need to get it through the uh, parliament to get it approved, and this is uh, proving a little bit more challenging than we'd hoped, but we feel like we're very, very close to getting that in. And then, of course, there is still the whole concern around the uh, the reimbursement you know, our, our drug plan in Canada is half public and half private, and I think that in some respects it makes it even more challenging sometimes getting the drugs approved when on an individual basis they're seen as very costly. So this has been significant uh, work for court in terms of trying to come up with a national plan for drugs for rare diseases, and we just had very good advocacy with our uh, health ministers at their conference just now in January to really impress again the importance of coming up with this plan, and we hope that we will see something uh, by uh, by this fall. As an uh, American, I, I think of Canada as having nationalized health care provides health care services, but you note that many families may be paying big amounts out of pocket for services that are routinely available for people with common conditions. What's What's the situation in Canada for people that are, are seeking treatment for rare diseases in terms of, of cost? And, and I, I take it there are great problems with lack of diagnosis and misdiagnosis and, and people getting treated for things that aren't really at the root of their problem. Right. So we have a very good public health, plan, uh, public health program. 
think our challenge is that if you have fairly common condition, if it's you know, not very challenging in terms of diagnosis or treatment, um, the services are there. The, um, the reimbursement is there. But in building a plan that is good for the common person, it may not necessarily then pick up in terms of the extraordinary person. The rules by which services are allocated, by which drug, uh, drugs are approved in terms of reimbursement, are not designed when, you know, well for individuals that have very, have extraordinary needs. I mean, we are small patient populations, so sometimes as well, these patients may have to travel outside of the country to get best expert care, and then you're reaching into some other kinds of funding that have to be made available and out-of-country funding. So there are some natural barriers built in the fact that these are small patient populations, very challenging to diagnose and to treat, but there are also barriers that are built in the fact that a very good public health um, system that is built for a lot of common conditions may, in fact, and not individualized enough to cover those patients whose concerns do not fit into uh, that kind of a common scheme. And fighting for exceptional schemes is not um, is it, not easy to do. Patients oftentimes feel like they're being singled out, and on a patient-by-patient -patient basis, you're making the case as to why they should get the same level of care as somebody who's not a much more common condition. Um, it's, um, it, you know, it's that challenge of the common sometimes. We do great when, you know, when it's uh, cheap and, and the common. We do really, really poorly when it is more challenging, individualized, and, uh, and certainly not as uh, intensive. Uh, among the things your strategy calls for is the creation of centers of excellence for rare disease. How do you envision these centers working? What, what exactly would they do? They would be, I mean, a bit like a cancer center. You think about cancer centers, which may, in fact, take into consideration a number of cancers. Um, they would serve as a reference point. So a physician who would identify patients having a potential rare disease may be able to narrow it down into a certain type of rare disease. Could be a metabolic, could be an inflammatory disease, could be a a, a, a blood disorder. Would then have a center which would be known and be identified. May not be, you know, even in the same province, but would be considered to be the national expert in that uh, area. Specialists would be there. The patient's materials and tests or even the patient him or herself could be referred there for further diagnosis, best pick care, you know, a, a, a practice program, a guide, uh, guidelines for care that would have been developed there could be applied to the patient. They could get extended care, you know, through the more local physicians so that you would be able to make sure that each patient gets um, the appropriate oversight by a, by a specialist. And Canada being a fairly you know, small country from the point of view of numbers, that is quite feasible. Our challenge, of course, is that geographically our people are huge and our patients, unfortunately, may be widely better. But, you know, you think about today in this, in this kind of day of telehealth and, you know, remote uh, diagnosis and, um, and management, it is easily done. It follows along the patterns of what's happening in Europe, where they're actually developing European centers of reference. I mean, you know, so our goal would be to, you know, Sort of mirror something like that but, uh, for Canada and also the healthy centers that could connect internationally with um, uh, centers either in the U.S. or in, in Europe that would also then be able to share information, even maybe at times sharing patient data across uh, across borders. The federal government in Canada has committed to launching a regulatory framework for orphan drugs. Were we in that process and, and 
does the rest of your strategy kind of depend upon that happening first? It does have to happen first. We need a definition for rare diseases. We need some official recognition that we are, in fact, supporting research and development. As we all know, sometimes it is the therapy that also opens up other areas of work, whether it be in terms of diagnosis or in terms of additional research or in terms of better practice guidelines. Having a therapy also invites not only money for support, but invites other kinds of resources into those areas. So it is hugely important for us to have a framework that would actually be similar to what the U.S. has, what Europe has, in order for us to be able then to have that same kind of a, a basic platform. So, I mean, it's been, it was begun in 2010, in 2012, it was pretty much ready. And I mean, I will say today, Health Canada, God bless them, are actually doing what is really in an orphan drug regulatory framework and would be able to provide any researcher or any company almost all the benefits there except for the actual orphan designation. And I think we're very close to just even acknowledging them as orphan drugs without that official framework. But, I mean, there's absolutely no reason except for, I think, some pure political laziness in terms of being able to get that framework, you know, implemented. You also call for timely evaluation and funding approach to ensure access to orphan drugs. How does that work today, and what changes do you see as being needed? Unfortunately, access to drugs that goes through a very long process. I mean, after the approvals by the regulatory body, Health Canada, it goes into a health technology assessment, a cost-effectiveness body. They will could take, you know, 10 months uh, to actually evaluate whether or not they believe the drug uh, is offering value for money. They will then make a recommendation to the provincial drug plans as to whether or not they would um, they should fund this, put this into some kind of a funding formula. Um, it may take another period of time. There's a, uh, a negotiation body that will negotiate on the cost of the drug. It's been newly set up. And that may actually take anywhere from a few months to years for them to agree on what their price might be. And in the meantime, then, patients have very limited access. So this is a huge challenge. Half of our patients have private drug plans, uh, like they would in the U.S., but unfortunately, as in the U.S. and other countries, the private drug plans are also putting in restrictions that are becoming very daunting, including uh, some of the plans that have basically said we will wait till health, uh, until the, um, the public plans approve them before we will put them into our drug plans, which now has introduced something that has never happened before, and that is many, many months and maybe years of delay, even if you have private insurance that would cover that drug, you know, before they, they, they could get access to it. So we really do need to find a, a way in which we can get these drugs to patients. I mean, they're often approved, uh, you know, on an expedited basis. If they're approved because these are progressive life-threatening diseases, there are no other therapies. And we go through a very, very timely process often in terms of clinical trials and, and regulatory approvals only for them to languish then for years before the patients can actually get access. We've been proposing with the government a much expedited process. We would love to see something that's a bit of what the um, Europeans have developed, or like their ADAPT SMART program, which begins to assess, even during clinical trials and certainly at the time of regulatory approval, guidelines for access to those drugs and access while we continue to collect more data in terms of the, you know, the real-world effectiveness of them, 
and making access while companies are negotiating over the price. There's no reason to wait until all those negotiations are done before the patients have access. We should be able to make the access and then adjust after the fact. Well, what's the state of rare disease research and federal funding of that research in Canada? And what would you like to see happen in that regard? There's almost no um, standard research uh, for rare diseases. It is on a uh, disease basis, so cystic fibrosis, dystrophy, some of these diseases, you know, which have been able to, you know, have a huge number of clinicians around them, good private, uh, uh, not, you know, uh, charity donations may in fact be quite, you know, viable programs. From the government's point of view, the only rare disease programs we've sent uh, thus far have included one special lines program funded over three to five years and is due to expire. We've had uh, some funding that's given to genomic research that comes out of a personalized therapies network. But really, you know, from a research perspective, rare diseases are not specifically acknowledged and we need to have dedicated funding that is for these uh, diseases for small patient populations, often genetic diseases. What's the plan for making your strategy a reality? Where do you go from here? <laughs> so we're coming up to Rare Disease Day. We will be hosting another conference in which we will hopefully engage a large number of stakeholders. We have created a new body that we're calling Rare Alliance Canada. This is an entity which we hope will actually be uh, made up of uh, researchers, clinicians, patient groups, um, industry policymakers, and they will help to shape, put shape into the strategy, identify benchmarks um, for success, identify short-term goals, long-term goals. We have a five-year sort of a plan that we've laid out with this strategy, and we're hoping that um, starting this year, uh, with our rare disease day, that we will actually engage a good number of stakeholders to help us um, move this forward. Gerhane Wong Rieger, President and CEO of the Canadian Organization for Rare Disorders. Jane, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, no, thank you, Manny, so much. And we're hoping that um, uh, Americans will continue to, to work with us and support us and for all of the rest of the internet. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.